last service with us. So after the service, make sure you swing by and say goodbye to her. Let her know be praying for her. And uh, I know I'll, I will miss her at least if no one else does. It's always, always an encouragement, Julia, having Julia here. Alright, First Samuel chapter 12, and we'll start reading in verse 16. It says, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside. For then ye sh- should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. All right, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to come here, Lord. I pray for those who are unable to make it, whether by sickness or or other means, Lord. I pray that you you bless there, you meet the need there. Lord, I pray that you meet the needs that are present um, here tonight, both with with the prayer requests and also the, the needs, the spiritual needs, here that are met, Lord, as we come before you and we, we open your word and we see what we, you have for us tonight. Lord, I pray that I um, be filled with your spirit, Lord, that I say only what you would have me to say and that our hearts and uh, minds be open and tender to your spirit's leading. And especially if there's in, anyone in here who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today be the day of salvation for them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Picked up here, the, of course, the latter portion of this chapter, and it's a few chapters here in First Samuel dealing with the nation of Israel desiring a king so that they can be like the other nations, is how it is put in another chapter. And so Samuel has tried to dissuade them from this, and, but they have remained steadfast. You see that really in the first portion of this chapter. Um, and they said, no, we, we want a king. And so Samuel stands up and he's like, I'm going to, t- I'm going to basically show you that what you, have wa- what you have desired, what you have asked, is wrong before God. And he, he says, it's, it's wheat harvest today, but I'm going to call and ask God to send thunder and rain. Now, this was extremely, extremely rare, very unseasonal here in Israel at the time of harvest for them to have any, uh, any rain, or, and especially thunder. So it's unseasonal. We all, we all recognize unseasonal weather, and it stands out in our mind. Uh, no unseasonal weather will stand out with these Israelites quite like this will. Um, so, and it's amazing. Samuel's faith. Samuel is, is such an amazing, amazing man of God, and especially his prayers. 
um, and the connection he had with God through through his prayer life. And he goes and he says, uh, see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. He has no doubt that God is about to answer this prayer that God is going to send thunder and rain. Uh, He knows he is is with God in this and, and that God will answer this prayer. So he prays to God, God answers the prayer, and, the, and says there that the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So our text really is the conclusion of Samuel's rebuke to Israel and his discussion with Israel about their desire to have a king. And of course, God's answer of Samuel's prayer greatly and rightfully produced a fear of God in, is, in the Israelites, they quickly acknowledged their sin, and they not only acknowledged the sin of asking for a king, but they said, we have added unto all our sins this evil. And again, remember what portion or what time frame this is at with the nation of Israel. They are in the period of the judges, a very, really a godless time overall for the nation of Israel. You would have the moments where a judge would be raised up and, and lead them in the right way. But for the most part, during that time frame, uh, Israel kept straying away from God. And the nation of Israel now is, is acknowledging that we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. Our text will be really from, from verse 20 through 24. As Samuel is not going to just grind the heel in or go for the throat or anything like that, he's going to say, look, you have done wickedly, but here's the path forward. Here is the way you can move ahead in your, walk, in your life and in your walk with God, both individually and as a nation. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing on here today is moving forward, especially after, after sin, but just moving forward in general in your life. How do you move forward, the pathway forward? Sometimes we, get, we feel like we get stuck in the mud and just keep spinning our wheels in our Christian life. And especially if there's a besetting sin that has been, we've been trying to shake off and trying to shake off, and we just can't shake it off. And we just feel like we're going nowhere. How do we move forward for God? How do we move forward in our life? I think that our text gives us some good keys uh, to, to move forward in our life. So it's going to be four, well, I'm going to have four points here. First of all, we'll, have, we'll see we have to refocus on God. We have to remember God's mercy. We have to receive godly instruction and then recall the goodness of God. And if we fail to do these things, if Israel failed to do these things, then wickedness is going to continue and it will lead to our destruction as you see there in verse 25. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. And we know that ended up being the case hundreds of years later when the Israelites ended up going into captivity because they uh, rebelled against the Lord. They refused to obey Him. So first off, when we, to move forward in our life, especially again after, after sin, and we've repented, we've had the repentance in place, now how do we go forward? What is the pathway forward? First of all, we have to refocus on God. Verses 20 and 21. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. So you see here a pleading by Samuel 
For the Israelites could not turn aside. Yet turn not aside in verse 20. And turn ye not aside in verse 21. He's instructing them to get focused back onto God. We can think of how if we're walking down a path and we start to look one way, generally we'll start to drift that way. We're turning aside to see something or, or, or in that direction. And here Samuel is instructing them, focus on God. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn aside. Don't let something else catch your attention. Focus only on God. Yes, Israel had done wickedly. Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn on aside. Get focused back on God. And the truth is, as it says here in the text, if, you're turn after, if you do turn aside, you're going after vain things. If we are not focused on God, then we are focused on something that is vain. Anything outside of God is vain. It is empty. It will be profitless for you. It will not help you. Anything else outside of God and, of course, his word. The word vain there that is used in verse 21 is also used. There's a same Hebrew word used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it says the earth was without form and void. The word void there is the same word uh, that we see vain translated here in 1 Samuel 12. So just think about that. Same, same word. If we are focused on something else, it is vain. It is empty, just as the earth was empty when God first created. Before he decided to put to, to have the light. Before he decided to, to have the water. When he first created that ball, it was void, without, for, without form. That's as empty as anything that we choose to focus on. Or what we choose to focus on is as empty as the earth was before God started forming it. And oftentimes people focus on other things today, of course. Pleasure. People focus on pleasure. They focus on money. Um, uh, escapism through drugs, alcohol, or, or the digital virtual world. People seek to escape the real world through those uh, avenues. But none of those things that people focus on will help them when the hurricane of life smacks into you. When you are blindsided by something you did not know was coming. What you have been focusing on will be the difference in how you handle it. If you've been focusing on something outside of God, you'll have nothing to draw strength from. All the money in the world cannot bring back a loved one. All the money in the world cannot change a situation or the health of somebody. The pleasure doesn't seem quite as important in life and death situations, or when your family is crumbling apart. None of those things that we can focus on outside of God, none of those things can help when trouble hits, or when we're trying to move forward in our Christian life. Samuel pointed out the fruitlessness of focusing on anything else besides the Lord. Now the trouble is, our focus oftentimes gradually slips. It's not like a, a small child who has the short attention span. You're, you think you have their attention, and then like you snap your fingers, and all of a sudden they're focused on something else. 
Uh, oftentimes our focus changes a little bit more gradually than that. And it's something that Joshua warned the Israelites about. Let's turn to Joshua 23. A few books back here. Joshua chapter 23. What we focus on is so, so important. And it affects our actions. It dictates our actions. Joshua 23, verse 6. We'll read a few verses here. It says, Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. So you see a gradual process in verse 7. The making mention of the name of their gods, then it's moving on to swearing by them, and then serving them, and then finally full-blown worship of these gods falling down before. There's a process, a gradual process that Joshua was warning against. And we would do we would be wise to uh, be aware of that. That just because you know, yeah, our focus is mainly on God, but it's starting to get grayed out a little bit, but it's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a slippery slope. It'll have that snowball effect. And you'll end up like the prodigal son saying, what am I doing here? How did I end up here? Now our focus oftentimes is is not on some of the obvious things that the world goes after. But we sometimes focus on less obvious gods, and that's what they are, idols that we have put in our lives or that we have allowed in our lives. Things like men's praise, uh, self-gratification. Or even duty can take a form of a God. Have to do it just because I'm expected to do it. Or I have to do it because pastor has asked. And, you know, if I... If I <laughs> not to discourage anyone from signing up for preaching. Uh, for the, for the New Year's, New Year's uh, preaching. But, well, I'll just sign up here because pastor... Uh, I want to look good in front of pastor or in front of the church. Um, got to be careful what our motivation is, what our focus is for our actions. The church at Ephesus needed a refocusing as well, uh, despite their outward adherence to the truth. A great resume, a great testimony the church at Ephesus had. You know, they, they are they're holding fast to the truth, but they were starting to lose focus. Their love was not on God anymore. They had lost their first love. The focus was starting to dim a little bit. It was starting to gray out. And God said, you need to get this back on track. All your other actions, fruitless in my eyes. If you have lost the proper motivation, if you have lost the proper focus, all those other actions don't really matter to me uh, from God's point of view. So it's just not when we find ourselves in sin that we should check our focus. Uh, it should be a, almost an everyday occurrence. Why are we doing? What are we focused on? But especially if you find your walk with God is not what it used to be. If you can look and think, 
There was a time in my life where I was closer to God than I was now. Well, what, were, what are you focusing on now? What is grabbing your attention? What is occupying your thoughts, occupying your mind? Is it the things of God? Is it how I can please God? How can I please God better? Or is it other things? Again, any focus besides a focus on God will end up being unprofitable for us. Even though it may not seem like it in our spiritual and our carnal minds, we think, man, you know, getting some extra money would be profitable for us. But if it's at the expense of your walk with God, it will not help you. It will not help you. I remember hearing a preacher talk about a... Uh, uh, he was riding with a man, uh, I believe it was a lost man, but he had said he, he had, well, it had to been saved, he had to been saved man. Uh, but he said he, had, he hadn't tithed at all, uh, but he had had some major accident and it ended up causing, costing him a tenth of his annual wage. And the guy realized what he had said and he's like, oh, I guess God kind of got his, got his tithe anyway. I'm not saying that's exactly how it works, uh, but we need, to, we need to make sure we are focused on God alone. And not focusing on something else, because something else is just going to be unprofitable for us. Alright, verse 22. So we need to refocus on God, and verse 22, we need to remember His mercy. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you His people. Yes, Israel had done wickedly. But Samuel is reassuring them here, he will not forsake his people. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. So we need to remember God's mercy. So oftentimes when we are in the middle of sin or we're having trouble overcoming sin, we, we oftentimes will say, well, what difference does it make? You know, I, I've failed God so many times. Why should I keep on fighting? Why should I keep struggling? Um, I can't get over this particular sin. Uh, and so I might as well just give up. And even if God does accept me, um, He can't use me very much because I'm just I'm too too much of a sinner for God to use. It is then, as always, we should remember the mercy of God. Let's turn to Psalm verse uh, chapter one hundred three, Psalm one hundred three. Psalm 103, starting in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as, a gra as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's 
children. Man, what a great passage talking about the mercy of God. And it uses so many analogies. Verse 10 to me is just an incredible verse. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Boy, isn't that the truth. We sin, we sin, we acknowledge it. Yes, maybe there's some chastisement that comes, but God doesn't reward us all the way that our iniquity deserves. Obviously, if he was going to do that, um, hell, would be the, hell would be the result of, any, uh, of anybody stepping off into eternity. But of course, we know his mercy has provided the salvation for us. But even after salvation, we sin. And that walk with God, that relationship with God has been broken. He still isn't going to, he's not waiting up there in heaven with a big stick waiting for us to sin so that he can bring down all the chastisement that his justice would, would, uh, would bring. No, that mercy is still in place. He's not going to reward us according to our iniquities. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. God knows us. He, he made us. He knows we're sinners. And as this is what Samuel said back in 1 Samuel. He says, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Guess what? The Lord knew what Israel would do. When he chose Abraham, he knew hundreds of years down the road, Israel's going to reject me. They're going to go through this 400-year cycle where it's, they're going to keep rejecting me. But he still chose them. And when he chose the plan of salvation, when the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the earth, God knew we would sin. He knew we would fail him over and over and over again. But he still chose to save us. He still chose to love us. He still chose to use us in his service, to give us the opportunity to be pleasing to him, to give us, these vile, sinful creatures, the opportunity to glorify a holy God. How in the world can we do that? Well, it's through his mercy, through his empowerment. Just an incredible thought that it still pleased him. It pleased the Lord to make you his people. It pleased God to choose us, to make us his people, even though we constantly sin. But we sometimes, in a very prideful view of ourselves, think that our sin is too much for God to forgive. Just, just really incredible. Yes, sin obviously hinders our ability to live for God, hinders our ability to please God. But God's mercy will always be there to forgive that sin when we have that repentant heart. And that God's mercy will then restore our relationship back with the Father so that we can once again live for Him. When we're moving forward, we're going to fail. Remember God's mercy. And that it pleased God to choose us. Just incredible when I think about my own life and how often I fail God and it still pleased God to choose me for His service. So we remember God's mercy. Thirdly, we receive godly instruction. Verse 23 there in 1 Samuel 12. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. 
Again, Samuel's response is, is really incredible. Samuel has been judging the people for many years now. He has been leading them back to God, teaching them the good and the right way. And they have very little gratitude. Like, oh, well, you're about to die, so uh, we want a king. Just kind of kick him under the rug a little bit. Very little thankfulness for Samuel. And again, his response to them is, is one befitting of a man of God. He still loves the Israelites, and he's not going to slack at all in his ministry toward them. In fact, again, he, as, it, as we see there, he considered it a sin to stop praying for them and or to stop teaching them the way of God. So in Israel's moving forward, their responsibility then was to learn and to apply what Samuel was teaching. So that his teaching would not be in vain. We often, again, love to hear good preaching. But it does us no good if we do not receive it. If we do not apply it. If it has no impact on our decisions or on how we live, then we have not received it. If the word of God, whether through personal devotion or through instruction from the pulpit... If it does not change your life, you are not receiving the Word of God. Just because you hear it, just because you read it, doesn't mean you're receiving it. Samuel was going to teach them the good and the right way. As he should. That was his responsibility. But whether the Israelites received it was up to them. Samuel said, I'm going to do my responsibility. I am called by God to pray for you. I am called by God to teach you. But it would be up to the Israelites to receive the teaching. We will never go forward in our walk with God if we do not receive the teaching of the Word of God. You will never overcome that besetting sin in your life if you do not apply the Word of God to your life. If it does not change how you act, how you live, you will never move forward in the Christian life. And really on a side note, with this verse, we see the limitations that the man of God has in affecting our walk with God. Again, the man of God should teach, uh, teach the good way. He should pray. But he cannot make us draw closer to God. You hear that it's the proverbial, uh, somebody says, well, I, I brought my kids to church every, for every Sunday school, and, and now they end up uh, out on the streets, and they're, they're using drugs and using alcohol, so obviously it's the church's fault. Well, man of God can't make your kids do right, can't make you do right. The church cannot do that. That is an individual choice. And the man of God gets up here, he prays, he preaches, he counsels, but he is limited in his ability to influence, to change how we act. He can only do so much. Uh, the responsibility then lays, lies with us. It's a personal choice of whether we will receive the preaching or not. At the end of the, the kingdom of, of Judah, in Second Chronicles 36, uh, the Bible says that he sent to them with, by his messengers, calling on them to repent. But they said they, they, they wouldn't heed it at all. They, they mocked his prophets. And the Bible says until there was no remedy. God was left no other option but to bring chastisement onto Israel. 
But he had sent those messengers over and over. We see some of them wrote these books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, calling on Israel to repent. Giving that godly instruction. But they would not receive it. They would not apply it. And it led to their destruction, as Samuel told them here. If you keep doing wickedly, if you do not receive the instruction, it will lead to your destruction. So we must receive the godly instruction. Again, whether through the uh, preaching or through our own reading of the Word of God. And lastly, recall the goodness of God. Verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. Another call from Samuel to serve God with all of the heart. We see it. He opens with it. He closes with it. Serve God with all your heart. This time he gives the reason and motivation for why we should do this. The goodness of God. The great things that God had done for Israel. For consider how great things he had done for you. Sometimes I think our biggest obstacle with this point is actually stopping to consider. We go about our daily life. There's always things coming up over the horizon that we have to deal with. And oftentimes we don't stop and consider the great things that God has done in our life. If we actually stopped and started counting some of the blessings, as the old song says, count your blessings. I, it would greatly encourage us, man. It would, it would keep us going. Give, I think it would provide some, some energy in moving forward in our life. Salvation. Man, what a, what a great gift that is. A great thing that God has done for us. Liberty. Here in this nation, we have liberty. We have freedom. In the spiritual life, we have liberty from sin. We don't have to sin. The lost, they don't have that liberty. They are under bondage to sin. But we have liberty from that. Through our salvation. And again, in this country we have prosperity. God has greatly blessed our nation. We also have something that has, was rare in the 2,000 years since Christ lived on this earth. And that is the word of God in our language. How many people died trying to get the Bible into their native tongue, into their language? William Tyndale, burned at the stake. So many martyrs were simply trying to get the Word of God to the common people. And from 1611 on, obviously a little bit before then, but the Bible we use is a 1611 version. We have something that people have died trying to get. I have, th- I have this Bible that I, that I keep for, for teaching and preaching. I have it in my office. I have another Bible in my office. I have a Bible in my car. Uh, and I have a Bible at home. I have four copies of the Word of God. That is a great thing that God has done for me. So that we have the complete instruction of the Word of God. Just think. God decided this was enough. This is all we need to glorify God. We don't need extra visions. 
The word of God is the complete revelation of God, uh, of God to man. That's all we need is the word of God. He says you don't need anything else. Everything that you need is in this book and our application of it. Man, that's a great thing that God has done in our life. That so many people across this globe, even today, they do not have this. Christians in, in some of these closed countries, China or, or some of these Muslim countries, they would oftentimes only have snippets of the Word of God. Maybe a New Testament that has been smuggled in. We can think of the people who try to smuggle the Bibles in through the Iron Curtain. Trying to get the Bible to those under Russian oppression. And we have it, and we take it for granted. We leave it in the car. It's a great thing that God has done for us. We have a godly church family. A man of God who loves us. And cares for us. That's a great thing that God has done for us. Have we stopped to consider these great things? As I mentioned, the greatest thing He has done for us is to buy us with his own blood. Redeem us back to the Father. Save us from hell. And this means that our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit. Which are God's. We should serve the Lord in sincerity. And in truth. Because he has done so much for us. And oftentimes we stop and think, well, what he wants is too hard. Christ didn't think that when we were on his mind as he's going to the cross. Oh, this is too hard for his salvation. We set reminders all the time in our lives. Put alarms. Uh, set a reminder on our clock or, you know, hey, set, set the timer for ten, ten minutes. I got some cookies in the oven. So we set these reminders all the time, but do we set reminders that will help us recall the goodness of God? In the Old Testament, we, saw, we see it set up several times. You have the memorials, whether it be at the, uh, the River Jordan or other places. In the, with the church, we have one. It's a church ordinance, communion, so that we can remember what Christ did for us, the goodness of God. And the Bible says the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. We have to recall all the good things that God has done for us. This should be a daily occurrence. Oftentimes our prayers are filled with requests. Lord, please be with me as I go about my day. Help me to glorify you. All, all, that, all that's good. And we should be asking God for, for, the, for these things. God wants us to. But do we stop and thank God? For the things he has already done in our lives. Do we recall the goodness of God? Do we consider? Do we stop and ponder everything he has done for us? If you want to move forward in your Christian life, this is a necessity. If you want to serve him with all your heart, this will help. Stopping and pondering and considering all that God has done for you. So to move forward in your, in your Christian life, you have to... Refocus on God. Make sure you're not focusing on anything else. Making sure that that focus is not starting to, to get on something else. You have to remember God's mercy. You're going to fail. Maybe news to you. 
but you're going to fail. You're going to sin. But God's mercy is ever there. It pleased him to choose us. You remember God's mercy. You receive the godly instruction that you hear. And then you recall all the good things that God has done for you. This will help moving forward in your Christian life. And again, if you fail to do so, it's not good. If you still do wickedly, you shall be consumed. Samuel assured the Israelites. Again, the truths we find in this passage are are helpful for us. Even if we are living close to God at the moment, all these things can help. But especially if we have found ourselves overwhelmed with sin or overwhelmed by a, a situation in life. We can still follow God. We can still serve God if we refocus on Him, remember His mercy, receive the instruction, and then recall the goodness of God in our lives. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes.